The scripture reading this morning is from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 45 through 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm very grateful for your presence as well. And it's always a a joyful occasion for me to be able to worship with this fine congregation and to sing these beautiful songs. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in such a fine way and for your participation in this singing has been made very beautiful because of it. Thank you for that, for the very fine prayers, for the scripture reading, for these men who have waited on the table for us today. We're very thankful for your service and your part of the worship. We're very grateful and thankful for you. Encourage each one to be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock where we will continue our Sunday night seminar on prayer. And I'm going to look at several prayers uh, this evening. And we're going to uh, study the prayers of Jesus and the disciples and Peter and several from the pages of the Bible. And I hope that you'll be able to be with us when we do that as we study tonight on prayer. What an important thing prayer is. And that's one of the great lessons that we've learned about Our seminar is just how important our prayers are, and I listen very carefully and follow along in the prayers which these men offer on our behalf, and I'm very thankful for each and every one of them. One of the greatest needs, the greatest need that we have today is not more cars. We don't need any more cars, do we? Our greatest need is not bigger houses. Our greatest need today, not bigger bank accounts. Our greatest need today is to be led to Calvary and to follow the teaching of the Word of God, to try to capsulize that great point. We have Luke 24, beginning verse 45, as it was read today. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Everybody needs to hear this. Everybody needs to be led to Calvary. There are a number of passages that capsulize this important thought. I thought of using Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul emphasizes the need of preaching the gospel, beginning at about verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rites, nor am I writing these things to 
secure any such provision, but I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. Woe to me. Paul was so focused on preaching the gospel that he was saying, I just have to preach it. It's the greatest need that we have. You see our greatest need today, not bigger cars or more of them. Our greatest need today, not bigger houses or more money. Our greatest need is to be led to Calvary and to focus on the gospel of Christ, the greatest message that's ever been given, the gospel of Jesus. I suppose if I had one passage to go to, it'd be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and that whole paragraph there, where the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise and where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. To the world, that cross, the image of which you see before you today, is foolishness. And Paul says it's that very thing which men count as being foolish, as the way to heaven. It is the greatest message, it is the greatest need today. It's a sad thing when you come across a closed mind who doesn't see the value of that cross and what Jesus did there that day and what God brought about. It is a sad thing when you look at the power of the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And yet they won't let that Word penetrate their heart. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the dividing of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. When people have such a closed mind that they will not listen to the teaching of the cross, but they count it as being foolish. It's a foolish thing, some of them say. I suppose you go to some of the world's finest cities, and you can knock on their door and say, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus and the cross, and to many people, it's going to appear to be a foolish thing for them. You can get on the radio, you can get on the television, you can talk about the cross of Jesus and how important the cross is to mankind and the real need of our present hour, and you... And you can show by biblical citations and book, chapter, and verse how God wants us to listen to that message, how that He told the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Mark sixteen sixty. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go teach all the nations, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What? Jesus died on this cross and was raised from the dead by the power of God. And to them it would be foolishness. It'd be silly. They feel like the need is the greater accumulation of more things. But there's got to be something more to life than this, the accumulation of more and more things. There is our need. 
for forgiveness of sin. The greatest need we've got. And it's a sad thing when people have such a closed mind that they will not listen to or are not sensitive to the real need. The real need is to be led to Calvary. The real need is for us to understand our need for God and our need for Christ. And the only way that we can approach God acceptably, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so today, I'd like to talk about that need and how we can be led to Calvary. You and I see how important it is. You're here today and you see the significance of being led to Calvary, but how's it going to happen? How will we be led to Calvary? This is a uh, serious consideration. This is not a superficial, shallow, butterflies and bees type of topic, is it? How important is this to our soul's condition? I do not know of any way that I could count it as being more important than what it is. How is it going to happen? The only way that it's going to happen is by the Word, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead me to Calvary. I'll let there be no mistake about what that means. This does not mean some kind of miraculous kind of intervention. This does not mean some kind of feeling better felt than told. This means that the words of the Holy Spirit will lead me to Calvary. There in turn, it is the teaching of the Word of God that will tell me what I need to do. That will lead me to the cross which we have before us. The medium of the Holy Spirit today is the Word of God. This gospel message that I've been talking about in introductory fashion was given by the Holy Spirit. It was carried on by the Holy Spirit, communicated by the Holy Spirit, consummated by the Holy Spirit. Any religious view that the Holy Spirit did not view, did not communicate, is not a view from God. It's not going to lead me to Calvary. It's going to lead me somewhere else. Jesus promised the apostles, I'm going to give you this comforter. In John chapter 16, verse 13. And as he was leaving, the prospect of leaving and subsiding their troubled hearts... He said, now, this Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, John 16, 13, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, when I look at the grammar carefully and I study the passage precisely, It's very clear that he's talking about the apostles here. This helper, this extra helper is coming. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, verse 7, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Christ sent the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And he breathed into these apostles the Holy Spirit, the message that he wanted them to write. Any religion which tries to teach something other than what you have in the pages of the Bible, is going to lead you somewhere else. It's not going to lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's not worth a nickel. If it doesn't lead you to the cross of Christ, it is of no value. If it doesn't lead you to the cross of Christ and thus heaven itself, it is worthless. 
There are a lot of religions out there. The Spirit will lead me to the cross. And it does that through the Spirit's Word as we read it from the pages of the Bible. How is that so? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. The Apostle Peter gives this great sermon on the day of Pentecost. There are five basic points that he makes in that sermon, and you and I have studied it already. But when he comes down to the end of that sermon, you'll notice the reaction of the crowd. His conclusion is given in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles' brothers, What shall we do? Now what cut them to the heart? It was the Word of God that cut them to the heart. When they heard this, the preaching of Peter, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit is communicating God's will, God's message through this inspired preacher, the apostle preacher, in fulfillment of John 16, 13. And he used the teaching of the Spirit to cut them right down to the heart. Now the word to cut there goes back to a word which means a short dagger, which a Roman soldier would use in close hand-to-hand combat. And when he got close to the enemy, he would use his dagger to run the opponent through the heart. And so this word is used with regard to their position. It cut them to the heart. What? The preaching of Peter. The words of the Holy Spirit cut them right down. It is that sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 and 12, and it pierced them right through the heart. And they said, we're convinced. What shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. The name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me keep reading. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You need to do something about this. Here's something you can do. You choose to save yourselves. So those who received His Word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. His point in the passage, it is the Word of God the Holy Spirit that changed these men's lives. It wasn't some miraculous operation on them. It wasn't some inner feeling better felt than told. It wasn't any kind of religious experience, so-called. The only religious experience that they had with regard to their conviction and conversion was hearing the words of God, the Holy Spirit, that they were to repent of their sins and they were to be baptized. Well, does that hold true? Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Eight chapter of the book of Acts. Here's a man reading his Bible along the way. It's Ethiopian. He says in this regard, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe, you may. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. How did the eunuch get to that point? How did the Ethiopian get to that point? Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
He's using the Word. The Word is converting him. The Word is converting this man's heart. The Word is changing him. The Holy Spirit is changing him, all right, but it's doing it through the Word of God. And when he comes to grips with the Word of God, then in turn he's changing his life. And he sees the need to make a change. Turn with me on into this passage. You notice in verse 22 of this particular passage, chapter 9, chapter 8. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. The import of the passage is that this man needed to repent. Go on over into Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, the Word of God is proclaimed. Verse 18, and immediately some like scales fell from his eyes, talking about Saul and his conversion. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. What's he doing? He's using the Word of God, and and he's telling people through the teaching what they need to do with regard to their lives. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who live in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And so in polemical kind of fashion, He is proving, he's showing, he's using the scriptures in order to change their lives for what is right. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, you have this discussion about a woman by the name of Lydia. The gospel's going west. Paul has this Macedonian call go west. And so he goes west to preach the gospel. And the first one we read about, a woman by the name of Lydia. On the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, the women who had come together. One who hurt us was, a na- was named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. How did the Lord do that? The Lord did that by the teaching. He used the medium of the Word of God to reach that woman's heart, and Paul spoke to her. The original word there is a word called laleo. It means to speak. And in this particular instance, Paul talks with her. He's explaining to her. Now, he doesn't tell me what he said to her, but I would assume here in this regard, he says, have you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? I would assume that he's saying how he has fulfilled all those Old Testament passages, how he was raised from the dead by the power of God. Have you heard about that? And here, how that is fulfilling of this Old Testament verse here. And notice how this is being accomplished by means of the Word of God. The Word of God is being used to lead people to Calvary. That's how it's done. Led by the Word of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, you have the beginning of the church at Corinth. And what do you have here? Well, some didn't want to hear the Word of God. And he left there, verse 7, and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now, what was it that caused them to hear and believe? 
It was the teaching of the Apostle Paul. What caused them to be baptized? It was that teaching which Paul was using. The Word of God was active on their heart. And by using the Word of God, there in turn, Paul was teaching these people what they needed to do. And guess what happened? He led them to Calvary. He led them to be obedient to the gospel of Christ by being baptized. The need for the day is the gospel of Christ. The need for today is to be led to the cross by the Word of God. Not by some kind of feeling better felt than told. Not by some kind of experience. The only experience I see them having is the experience of being exposed to the Word of God and repenting of their sins, growing in their faith in Jesus Christ, and being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And they all had the same experience. The experience that they had to be led to the cross was experience of the Holy Spirit teaching them His Word. And as they learned that Word, they obeyed the gospel of Christ. That's the need today, to get back to the Word of God. If I'm going to get back to the cross at all, the greatest need of my life, then I'm going to have to be receptive to the seed of the kingdom. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I'd like to read and and make just brief comment about this particular passage in Luke 8 and um, talk a little bit about a parable that you're very familiar with, this parable of the sower. And it's also found in Matthew chapter 13. And Luke chapter 8 is a very helpful passage because it supplements what I learn in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. And Jesus talks about a sower went forth to sow. You notice how he uses that common everyday kind of illustration that those people would relate to and how that they would understand these particular matters. And in doing so, he said, now some seed would fall uh, by the wayside, fall along the path, and they would have a hard trodden path whereby one would go from one point to the other and they would travel the path, and naturally the footpath would be very hard and would not be so receptive to the seed. And you can almost in your own mind see an individual with a sack over his shoulder, and he dips down into the sack, and he takes a handful of seed, and he scatters the seed. He's sowing the seed. And some of that seed fell on that hard path. But the disciples didn't really understand the point yet. And he said, now some of that seed... It fell upon the rocks. And some of that seed fell among the thorns. And some of that seed fell on good ground. And they came to Jesus and said, What does it mean about the seed here? And he tells them in verse 11, Now the parable is this, The seed is the Word of God. And what Jesus is saying in this parable, it's one of my favorite parables, that represents human hearts. You have one heart that's a very hard heart. And you have another heart, kind of very rocky heart, shallow soil. Then you have another heart that is a heart that's so concerned with the cares of life and the problems of life, the thorns of life. And then you have a heart that's really good ground, a real fertile, receptive kind of heart. And this seed is falling on these different types of hearts. And the question for me is, What kind of heart do I have? Is my heart going to be a hard heart like the seed that fell on the path and the fowl of the air came and devoured it up? 
which is old Satan tempting me and me following him rather than the Word of God? Or is it going to follow, fall on the shallow ground where immediately it springs up and that person is receptive to the Word of God and accepts the Word of God, but when that sun comes out, because there's no depth of root, it scorches and withers the Word out. And then some of that seed is going to fall on the on the, uh, the soil that's filled with thorns and the cares and the problems of life spring up and they just choke the Word of God out because the Word really doesn't get a chance. They accepted it, but they allowed the anguishes of life and the troubles of life really to choke God's Word out and it never really accomplishes anything. But then there is soil that's a good soil and it does bear good fruit. The point is... I've got to examine my heart, see what kind of heart I've got. And I'm saying that you're going to find your heart illustrated somewhere in Luke chapter 8. It could be a hard heart, and you're just not willing to listen to the Word of God. No, I've made up my mind. It doesn't matter what the Word of God says. And there are some folks that are that way. Or it could be a heart that does receive the Word of God, but... I just don't have the strength of faith to carry on, especially in difficult and trying times. Or it could be a good heart, a heart that says, Yes, Lord, teach me your word. Let me change my life to be more like what you have in the Scripture." and to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. The only way to be led to Calvary is to have the seed of the kingdom in your heart and let that word grow and develop and mature and you grow in faith. And no matter what the difficulties may be along the way, you're saying, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. No matter what cares and problems happen to come along, I'm not going to allow them to choke out the Word of God, but I'm going to be faithful all the days of my life because I know it'll lead me to the cross. My greatest need. That's my greatest need. But I wanted to incorporate into our journey to Calvary with the discussion of the new birth. You know, you're never going to get to Calvary unless you understand what that new birth is. So let's take a moment and study that from John chapter 3. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. A lot of people talk about being born again, but I see that they really do not understand what that phrase means. It comes from John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by, by night. I don't know why Nicodemus came by night. I've heard preachers speculate about that. Your guess on that is as good as mine. He was a ruler of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. Maybe he was so busy in the day that he just couldn't make it. Or maybe he came by night because he wanted uh, a private interview with Jesus. Maybe that's the case. I don't know that it matters. This man came to Jesus by night, and that's a fact, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, he has some understanding of the Messiah, doesn't he? He has some understanding, though his understanding is limited, and Jesus knows this. He has some, some understanding about Jesus. He says, now, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And so there's probably some understanding there. And Jesus sees there, some receptivity maybe in his heart, for no one can do these signs. He's talking about the miracles which Jesus had performed. And that's the only logical conclusion that one could draw. No one can do this, except God be with him. He must be God in the flesh. There must be something here. He's raising the dead. He's feeding the thousand with the loaves and the fishes. He's walking on the water. No one can do this except it be God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He has some understanding about the matter. And Jesus goes right to the bottom line. He goes right to the heart of the issue. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus could have said, Well, thank you very much for the compliment. Thank you very much for listening to some of the sermons. And I do appreciate your kind compliment of me and your kind consideration. No, he didn't say anything. He said, You've got to be born again. He goes right to the issue. He's trying to lead this man to the cross. He's trying to lead this man to his greatest need. Your greatest need is to be born again. Now, the phrase born again could be translated, I suppose, born from above, where it is born again or born from above. He's surely saying that this must obtain in your life in order to enter or see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, an interesting way to say, now listen carefully to what I'm saying. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to be able to be led to the cross. You're not going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to get in it until you're born again. You've got to be born again to be in the kingdom of God. And that's the wording of Jesus. The only way to be led to the cross is to be born again. Well, I better understand what that means. And so Nicodemus takes it the wrong way, as they often did when they listened to Jesus teach and preach, verse 4. He takes it in a literal fashion. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's speaking literally there. Jesus is not speaking literally there of a man having or going through physical birth again. He's already been born physically. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth in this matter. And it's clear Nicodemus has not really gotten a hold of the concept yet. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And the obvious answer to that question, no, he can't do that. Jesus answered, truly, truly. There's that phrase again. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. One birth, two elements to it. Water and spirit. There is a conception and there is a delivery. There is a physical birth which you have undergone. But I'm talking about, Nicodemus, a spiritual birth. A conception and a delivery. The Spirit is involved in your spiritual birth by teaching you the Word of God. 
The Spirit is revealing God's will for your life. You need to understand the teaching of the Word of God. Then you need to obey that, which involves being born of the water. That is, being baptized into Christ. Anyone with an objective understanding of verse 5 understands that he's referring to biblical baptism by use of the term water in John 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, how can that be? It's not a physical birth. He's already denied that. He said, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Jesus goes on to explain the matter in 6 and 7. And isn't it interesting? People never go to these verses. They stop with this passage in verse 3. And they never go on to consider what he is saying in the rest of the paragraph. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I'm not talking about a physical birth. When you were born, you were born physically. But when you're born from above or born again, you're born spiritually. You've had the physical birth. Now you need the spiritual birth. And Jesus is, in effect, nudging him forward. You understand something about the will of God here. He's saying, why, no one could do these miracles except God be with him. You understand something about this matter, but you're not there yet. And he nudges him forward, and he tries to help him see the way of the cross is by means of the new birth. This one spiritual birth composed of two elements, the teaching of the Spirit of God and immersion in water for the remission of sins, Mark 16, Acts chapter 2. The discussion doesn't stop there. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. When the Spirit teaches, no matter where it goes, when people follow it, Christians are going to be born. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things, verse 10. You're a teacher of Israel with some reputation. And you don't understand this matter of spiritual birth. You must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness of what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? There are two levels of understanding here. There's an earthly type of understanding. There's a heavenly understanding. You can understand the more simpler earthly matters, but there's a deeper meaning, a deeper knowledge that you need to understand, and you can understand that. No one has ascended into heaven except he was descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life if you choose Christ and the new birth, you'll be led to the cross and have the very thing that you need, and that is eternal life. That word of the cross will lead me to Calvary. And that word will one day judge me in eternity. I have got to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ the righteous in order to be led to the cross. It's the biggest need I've got 
to be born again, to repent of my sins and confess my faith in Christ, to be born again by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Will you choose to do it? What kind of heart do I have? Does the Word penetrate my heart? Will the Word motivate me to follow the Word, to go to the cross of Christ? Or will I decide, "Mm, I'll follow something else. I I, I think I like this over here or I like that over there. Almost like a cafeteria type style religion. I go down to the cafeteria, Carol and I do, and I go through that. I say all of the, well, I don't think I want that today. I'll take this over here. I don't think I want that. I'll take that over. I can't do that with the Word of God. I've got to take the teaching of Christ and inspired apostles to be led to the cross of Christ, which is my greatest need, obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, am I speaking to anyone today who needs to be led to the cross? Whereby you need to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ, be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sin. Have you come to the point in time where you understand what needs to be done and are now motivated to do it? Perhaps you're saying, well, I'm not quite there yet, Jim. I need to study more. All right, let's do that. Let's study. And let's see what the New Testament says. And we'll do whatever the New Testament says because you know what? The New Testament is right and the Bible's never wrong. And whatever the the Bible tells us to do, that's what we're going to do because that is the teaching of God, the Holy Spirit. And I urge you to bear it today. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?